0: And as Kate started to walk, I just tapped her on the shoulder and I said, when you get down there, I said, make a snowball,
1: make it gonna have a snowball for that. <laughs> I said, but push it into his face. She went, Pardon. You only have to look at the way they look at each other to realize they're very much in love.
2: I think the world's gonna be a very different place by the time William is king. And he's definitely got an eye on that.
3: During the COVID-19 pandemic, three times he came in and volunteered and essentially rolling his sleeves up and, and getting his hairs dirty. But there wasn't a camera in sight.
4: I think she's already a real asset to the Royal family. I think, like I say, she's just so genuine and so passionate about what she does.
5: Welcome back to the Right Rule podcast with me, Emmy. And me, Andrea. This week we're talking about the future of the monarchy and the pair of royals at the centre of it, the Prince and Princess of Wales. The impressive couple are set to be our King and Queen one day, but what will they bring to the roles and what can we expect from their reign? We're going to be chatting all about their amazing projects and how they're already building their legacy while staying true to the things they care about the most.
2: They have taught me over and over again that the root cause of so many of today's social problems can be traced right back to the very earliest years of a person's life, and often over generations.
6: The scale of youth homelessness in this country is now shameful. It must not be ignored. As a society, we have a clear duty to redouble our efforts, to do more to help.
7: In this episode, we'll be joined by royal journalist and author Robert Jobson, CEO of homelessness charity The Passage, of which William is patron, Mick Clark, and the founder of Baby Basics, which Kate has been involved with, Kat Ross. But first, we're joined by someone who has travelled around the world with the pair and covers them on a regular basis. Welcome to Hello's Royal Editor, Emily Nash. Hello, thanks for
5: having me back. Hello, hello. We're talking about my favourite subject today. William and Kate? Yes. Yes. I swear, every week is your favorite. Subject, I was just—I right? was just thinking that, but Charles, you know what? I love the, the Royal royals, Rascals. and I'm not ashamed to say it. Are you already a member of the Kate and Will fan club? Then or I've been—I've been—I've been a member of that since the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a lot of questions for you, Emily, just because, for a change. <laughs> uh, you travel with them. You go to their engagements around the UK. I want to know what are they like. Well. They're a lot
2: more normal in person than they might appear to be uh, in pictures. They are both very good with people. But what strikes me about them both is that they are very, very focused on their causes and they've got a really long term view on things. I think because of the position they're in, what I find interesting about them is that they're not there for a quick PR hit. Everything they do, they have to think about in the context of decades and centuries. Which is even yeah,
5: because <laughs> I like to do things, get them finished, get them done, but they are completely different.
2: Yeah, I mean, for those of us who are not life's planners, yeah, um, it's a different way of doing things. Do you think they're taking a leaf out of the Queen's book? Then, I think they have to look. Uh, William's the future king. Um, Kate's going to be queen alongside him, and they have to look to where they're going to be, you know, in 20, 30, 40 years time, and they want to have created something worthwhile while they're waiting for those roles, for the top roles, if you like. But they're also very mindful about, you know, protecting the monarchy, protecting its image. And, you know, they have these commitments. Kate's talking very seriously about wanting to change society through her early years campaign, which we'll talk about soon. Um, William similarly has plans you know for the environment and for homelessness so these aren't sort of things that are going to transform overnight Mm. they really are thinking long term. Do
5: you have a particular favourite moment?
2: Oh how can I give you just one? (laughs) Um, I think it goes without saying that being there for the births was really special it's so lovely to see that for anyone welcoming a new baby to the family and for them to have shared it so publicly with the whole world, uh, must have been quite daunting. I know you, you were
5: heavily pregnant.
2: I was heavily pregnant when Prince George came along.
5: Did that inspire you for a hospital outing? You know, post birth. No, <laughs> no. Was Linda you in, like, oh God. You come know,
2: on. I I was just grateful that there wasn't a bank of uh, cameras outside the hospital when I came out. I, know. I Did not look like that. I oh know
5: she was very brave.
2: Yeah, no one really would dare face cameras just after giving I birth. I would. No, but uh, genuinely, I think sometimes it's the less high-profile jobs that I've enjoyed watching them at work at you know just seeing the impact that they have on people they're visiting I think the excitement of a Royal visit just brings us a special atmosphere with it you know I'm thinking about um, St David's Day in 2022 when they went through Abergavenny Market in South Wales and it was a bit of a festival atmosphere and it's really nice to sort of be swept up in that and well, you're from Wales. Yes, I'm a bit
7: biased. Yeah. <laughs> do you think they let their guard down more on smaller events?
2: I think they do. And I think one thing that um, you perhaps don't realise is that quite often during an engagement, they might go off and spend some time having a private meeting with people who perhaps don't want the, the cameras mm. there, um, you know, maybe a bereaved family or somebody who's had a difficult experience. And they have time for those people as well. It's not all about what you see in the magazines, online, in the newspapers. A lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes too.
7: So is really authentically wanting to do good, isn't it?
2: I, th- I think it genuinely is, you know. I think they have their eyes on long-term goals. William with Earthshot is bringing a very positive approach to what is a very scary topic.
6: The decisions we make now will affect generations to come, which is why we must choose the path of hope optimism and urgency to repair our planet.
2: And similarly, Kate with her Shaping Us campaign with the early years at the Royal Foundation for Early Years. I believe the early years should be on par with the other great social challenges and opportunities of our time. Only by working together can we bring about lasting change for the generations to come. Because I truly believe big change starts small. I think it's really thinking about long-term issues in society and how they can change things for the better. And it's lovely in a world filled with really negative, unrelenting news that there are these projects that are trying to change things for the better.
5: Do you feel like when you're with them, you see the real William and Kate?
2: I think you see that there's a lot of humour there. There's a lot of affection there's a lot of friendly rivalry, especially when there's any competitive sport involved. That's always really good fun to cover. And you see a genuine interest in other people. Uh, and I think, you know, often I wonder how they how they get out of the car with a big smile on their face and just give it 110%. Because you or I might wake up one day yeah. not feeling yeah. like it you won't
5: get a smile from me who can yeah how
7: can you be that <laughs> much every day yeah. it, it
2: it must put put you under quite a lot of strain but for the person they're meeting that's a the moment they're going to remember potentially for the rest of their lives so you know they really do have to give it their all and i'm i'm pretty impressed by that
5: talking about humor and rivalry we spoke to former pa photographer john Stilwell at the beginning of this series and he shared the most incredible anecdote which I really want you guys to listen to.
0: I'd tell you when I did see more relaxed like, I think you got this question coming up about the um skiing yes. picture. The skiing pictures never happened actually. They never happened? No, I mean the idea was it would be a, a picture of the four of them skiing. Oh. Uh but where it was up on the mount it's gonna be misty. So I said well, if it is we just do some pictures down here where they're staying. Next morning it was misty uh really badly and they said, there's no point in going up. Sometimes you can go up and get above the clouds. But yeah. this, this day was impossible. It was very low cloud, and they couldn't see a thing. So we do it at the hotel. So I looked, ran, I was taken to the hotel, looked around, and found at the back behind the hotel is a very quiet road, full of snow, trees in the background. So they said, it's going to be just Will and Kate, uh, not the kids. The kids, we can do on the balcony afterwards. So we go around to the back there, and uh, William said to me, saying like, you know, we are gonna do? You're supposed to be skiing. I said, Well, no one knows you can't ski today. We'll just do a picture and you've got your ski yeah. gear on on that. So, okay, fine. See, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, a pair of you walk just 30 yards away, then walk back towards me and I'll take some pictures. I'll do some full lengths, some half-lengths, and some headshots. He said, Oh, okay. He was I don't think he was totally convinced, but it's best I could do. Yeah. He he walked away, and as Kate started away, I just tapped her on the shoulder and I said, Kate. Hey, when you get down there, I said, make a snowball. Make it. you're going to have a snowball for that. <laughs> I said, but push it into his face. She went, pardon? I said, just whack him in the face with a snowball. I don't think she'd do it, but she did. As they sort of started talking, she push, <laughs> He saw the funny side of it.
5: Yeah. He's, um, They're clearly a fun couple.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, they really think a lot of each other.
5: Wasn't that an incredible anecdote? That is so fun. I had no idea that that's how it went down. I love them as a couple. They seem
2: so fun. I think they'd certainly like to wind each other up. (laughs)
7: Yes. Emily, can I talk about their wedding day? I mean, what was it like to be at such a genuinely historical event?
2: Well, look, I was still a news reporter at that time. And I was sent out by my newspaper to go and stand on the procession route. And I was near the Cenotaph in Whitehall. And I just remember there being this amazing party atmosphere. Um, it was impossible not to get a bit swept up in it. And, you know, people stood there for hours and hours. I think we were in position at about 6.30 in the morning, bearing in mind, you know, they didn't come past for many hours after that. There was a real sense of party, happiness, um, always helps when people are given a day off, obviously. I yes. mm-hmm. um, love a
5: bank holiday. <laughs>
2: but, but it was it was a, a special day and something that I'll always remember.
5: Going back to John, he also had the most amazing anecdote from that day.
0: They do the balcony, they do the kiss, they would do the waving, they go inside for the reception. Yeah. I then send my picture to the office. My boss had been on the phone a dozen times. Where's the picture? Where's the picture? I said, I'm having trouble getting a connection on the cable. Eventually, I got it over to him and nothing. didn't, didn't phone up to say thanks or anything. And I was sitting there about an hour late with my phone. and I got a message from him and it was the front cover of Time magazine, my picture.
5: Incredible.
0: So I had to do them leaving to go from the palace back to Clarence House to change for the evening time. And they came out of Buckingham Palace in Prince Charles' uh, Aston Martin, yeah. which the Queen bought for him. It's the classic James Bond Aston yeah. Martin. Done that, they go back to Clarence house. So I send the pictures of them leaving Buckingham Palace in the car. Then later on, I go back to Clarence house, and I get there, and um, I'm waiting outside. I'm the only one there. Prince Charles and Prince William started talking to the chauffeur, and I was standing next to Kate. In fact, I was so close, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't take a picture of her because the <laughs> camera wouldn't focus that closely. So I said to her, how's the day been? And she said, oh, it's been wonderful. She said, the weather's fantastic. The service was fantastic. The crowds were wonderful. She said to me, "Where were you? Where were you taking pictures?" I said, "Well, I was in the forecourt taking pictures of the balcony, the kiss." I said, "Like I was really nervous." So I pulled out my phone, and I showed. I said, "Look, that's the picture. It's on the front of Time magazine." She went, "Oh, it's wonderful." Oh. I didn't know it. I was being filmed at the time, and everyone that I knew phoned me up and texted me and said, "What was you talking to her about?" <laughs> I said, I was giving you some tips on marriage.
5: Yeah. have, have a
0: happy marriage. <laughs> happy marriage.
5: Well, it's worked. They've been together oh. for 11 years and they seem as happy as, you know, oh, yeah, they <laughs> the are. first they, day.
0: You can see it straight away. You know, the way they look at each other, the way they, they walk and hold, you know, hold hands and look after each other.
2: That says a lot about Kate, doesn't it, Emily? It does. It's lovely that she took some time out of her special day to uh, congratulate John there. And of course, we know that she loves photography. So I'm sure she was very interested to see his work.
5: Yes, (laughs) a bit inspired her. Now, they've been in their new role for six months. How are you seeing them and how do you think they'll be in the future?
2: I think they're they're doing very well. It's a continuation of what they were doing already. I don't think that it would have worked very well for them to just suddenly completely change what they were doing because they had new titles. Um, I think they're very committed to their causes and they'll continue to be for many years to come. Um, I think the world's going to be a very different place by the time William is king uh, from when his grandmother came to the throne. Um, And he's definitely got an eye on that. And he is very modern in his outlook and I think he's reacting to the way that the world is now and is going to be. And we see that with Earthshot in particular. And similarly with with Kate, she's looking to the future. I think they're really conscious of the privilege of their positions mm-hmm. and the responsibility of their roles. And they want to do the right thing. And everything that they do between now and then and then into the future is going to be very carefully managed to make sure they never put a
7: foot wrong. Emily, thank you so much for your insights. Pleasure. Very interesting. Now we're
5: moving on to someone you know very well.
7: We are indeed. Today we're welcoming Robert Jobson
2: to the podcast, the royal author and journalist once dubbed the godfather of royal reporting by the Washington Post. Rob, unfortunately, is not feeling very well, but is kindly joining us down the line from home. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. No problem. We're talking about William and Kate, the now Prince and Princess of Wales, and you have written many, many books about the royal family, from William's Princess to the new royal family, and most recently, William at 40. You're clearly the person to speak to on this topic. Which of them do you feel you know better, William or Kate?
1: I think William, without a doubt, because I've covered the royal beat since 1990, and years ago, did a first interview with him when he was on the slopes close to, so yes, definitely I feel I know William better, although he does put on a public side, um, which I think inevitably anyone in the public eye like him would have to do. Kate is a bit of an enigma. We see a little bit of her her character, but not enough, I don't think. I think that's changing a little bit with the way that she's going about her business now and trying to, if you like, brand herself or brand the work that she does. But I think definitely William, because he's a character, I think, that has... um, you know, I've grown up with whilst working really.
2: And you have, as you said, you know, followed him from early childhood really all the way through. So I imagine you've seen some big changes in the way he does things.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, as a little boy, he was um, a character. Obviously, we would cover things in a different way back then. Um, It was far freer. We'd be on all the ski holidays, often on the covering them on the holidays, much to annoying them, I think, really, in those days. But you know, it was a different way of operating, uh, but we would then see their character in public more. So it wasn't all about their work and what they were doing. It was more to do with what how they used to interact and the way they used to play with each other. There was a clear. Um, sometimes when he was on the slopes, he was never as gregarious as as Harry. He was never as adventurous, you know. And he would sometimes burst into tears if he couldn't get to ski properly. So. You know, we saw we saw all of those growing pains that he went through.
5: Um, what three words would you use to describe William?
1: William, oh, I think um, three words. I think strong. I think determined. I think also, I, uh, the one word I would use with him is he is. Um, I'm just trying to think of the best way to put it without being too rude about it. But he is
5: <laughs> protective. Uh, <laughs>
1: Protective is a good way of putting it in you know, iceberg. Protective. <laughs> I think that his manner with people sometimes can be a bit blunt. Blunt, that's the word. Blunt, I was that's the blunt. word.
5: <laughs> How would you describe Kate?
1: Uh, loyal, very loyal to William, very supportive to William and um, determined very much in her work and the way she goes about business. And I also, I would say beautiful, but not just in the in the look to way, Physical. but in, in her spirit. I think as a person, she's, uh, she's somebody who's clearly warm and a, a beautiful person. Oh,
5: who do you think benefits more from each other?
1: I think William benefits from having someone like Kate with him because I think to find a partner like that um, in an environment such as the royal family is extremely difficult, as we've seen with um, the Queen's children. The Queen, of course, found the Duke of Edinburgh and that I think obviously was... Uh, uh, a very important match, but really William to find someone like Kate, and at university at so young an age where they they could then develop that relationship and benefit from all the the, the advantages of having a your best friend as your husband or wife. I think is um, hugely important.
5: He definitely won the lottery. I think with Kate, I think so.
2: <laughs> and I mean, would you say that's the secret to their marriage that they have this? this great connection. They're friends, really, more than anything else. They work as a team, don't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, they are friends. And of course, they will have had and did have breakups and arguments over the years. But the very fact that when they did break up on the more serious level, he quickly realised that he'd got it completely wrong. He was probably listening to the outside sources and outside people, but then looked perhaps at his father's inability to marry Camilla early on and realised no, I've made a big error here and um, and try to woo her back. And I think the way she laid out um, some guidelines, some rules of the way it had to go, she wasn't going to be messed around, um, showed that her strength of character. But she clearly, you only have to look at the way they look at each other to realize they're very much in love. And I think that she's a real asset, not only to, to William, but, you know, and the family, but to the royal family as a whole, because really there's, there's, You know, we've had the scandals uh, with Meghan and Harry and all the things that have gone on. But none of this has been created by her. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, it was going along very smoothly. Her relationship with Harry was very good as well before Meghan arrived on the scene. And there were really none of this is to do with her. I think that she would find it awful um, that so much drama has been created. And, um, And she rallied very quickly to her husband's side over it.
5: Now, you've mentioned their breakup, which was a very public uh, breakup. And I wonder if since, you know, since their wedding, do you think they faced tough or challenging times but have managed to keep them from the public and work through them?
1: Yeah, I think they quite like having their own nuclear family together. Therefore, they're not having too many people around them. So any stories of any conflicts or problems aren't really emerging. I mean, I think you get the sense that they are very much like a uh, a family that will really will sort their issues out amongst themselves, which is perfectly uh, the, the way forward. Yeah, they've had their ups and downs, but I think one of the most important figures in their life, both their lives, has been Kate's parents, because of course, yeah. Prince of Wales is well, very busy. He's a different type of uh, parent. There's no doubt about that. William's going to discover how difficult it is to balance being the Prince yeah, of Wales yeah. and a, a family man now that he is the Prince of Wales. And I think that Mike and Carol have been hugely important in William's life after losing his mother in these teenage years. And I think that he regards her very much as, as, as the second mother, really, and um, and Mike too, that he can turn to both of those. And you know, during that loss, I think of when they split up. I think he realised that he was losing a lot more than just just uh, Catherine, just Kate. You know, he was losing something that was very important to him, and realised how isolated he left him and didn't like it.
2: And she's, she's sort of really brought stability I think hasn't yeah. she and that sort of stable ordinary background that you know that William didn't particularly experience himself. I mean talking about how long you've been doing this it's more than three decades. Um, how does covering William and Kate compare with covering the last Prince and Princess of Wales? You spent a lot of time on the road with them. I imagine it's worlds apart.
1: Worlds apart, really, Emily. I mean, I arrived, you can imagine, on the scene uh, around about 1990. And at that time, you know, it was pretty clear that at that time, both were involved in extramarital affairs. Um, Diana was doing her first solo engagements, really. She'd gone to Pakistan. And I remember going on that visit. And then we had the Love Boat Cruise Summer, which I was on as well, which, of <laughs> course, was far from being a love boat cruise. It was um, uh, a disaster. So, um, you know, we were really dealing with not so much in what was happening in the the general story. What were they doing at work? What were they? What were their uh, objectives? Yes, of course, she was dealing with AIDS and doing her best to, to highlight the importance of, of raising money and research into it. But really, essentially, the issue was... This is a marriage in crisis. We had Fergie Aaron affairs. We had uh, this breakup of Anne's marriage. Of, and I remember going to her new wedding in Scotland. So, look, it was a very different playing field then. And the stories were very much hardcore stories. You know, we were dealing with the... Preamble to the Anna Cerebulus. So This is um, so
5: much drama. How did you survive that time? Because I mean, we have spare right now, and that is that is a lot, you know. And, and, and... Oh,
1: spare was a lot. <laughs> I mean, then we had Diana, Diana, her true story. We had Lady Colin Campbell. book before that, and all the time, we were very much interviewing the royals. Would come up to us. So I remember being in Egypt with with Princess Diana, and she came up and was you know was chatting. I hadn't seen her since I had been in Scotland. Funny enough, I was on the Scottish sun and um and I'd been in a a pool in what was the Craig and Derrick and all of a sudden all the photographers were outside the window and I went into the sauna then Diana joined me in the sauna, it's just me and her. So
5: I've never, never stop, he- stop, 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 stop. There. I've not heard this story before. I need to and <laughs> and I First normal, of all, what were you wearing in the
1: sauna? Just a pair of drunks and a towel. So I was a lot slimmer and better looking then. So I, I you know, I thought this was fun. And then We're when I saw her in Pakistan, I said, we met and chatted, and I said, said we've met before, I said, yes, you look different with your clothes on, so it was quite funny. <laughs> and she laughed and giggled and flirted, which was her way, you know. That she was very, was... so was yeah.
5: she wearing a bathing suit or a bikini?
1: Yeah, she had a swimming costume on, and then she had a towel around her head, and a towel around her waist. Um, My God. And she kept putting her head to the, the side all the time, you know, and smiling. I thought, she had amazing eyes, that's all I remember thinking, because well, I'm going to get in serious trouble here from someone, you know, a policeman and standing outside, I'm um, standing <laughs> in the sauna It was quite funny, yeah. is it not, um, not
2: your average day at work? No.
1: Yeah, it was quite funny, the whole thing was just <laughs> you
2: know. Rob, I'm assuming that Diana was the only member of the Royal Family you've been in a sauna with, um, guessing you haven't been in one with Kate?
1: No, I'm a bit different to what I was then thirty years ago. I think I'd struggle to get in the sauna. and i don't Oh no, you're still handsome that, Rob. Not, I don't think she would get it's a good idea for her to go in there, she's so slim.
2: <laughs> I think there's a there's a very different approach now, isn't there, really, with William and, and Kate. They um I think are very careful about their privacy. Um, and that's totally understandable, really, if you consider um, William's childhood and, and his experiences and obviously the fact that he's brought Kate into this environment and he wants to protect her as best he can. I mean, how do you think they are managing to balance the public-private life?
1: Oh, I think he's he has been very clear from the outset that he's not going to leave any of his family exposed to the sort of things that used to happen. Um it obviously had a big impact on him. I mean, some of the times when we were on the holidays in Disneyland and places like that, they would get away with a lot of, um, you know, they would go on the underground bit of it and go on their trips, and, and and you know, but the press were always there. You know, they were around and they were always someone I think they were conscious of. He's determined, quite rightly, I think, that his children don't have that when they were pursuing them in the parks and things like that he took legal action against them he made sure there were police to deal with it so I I think it's a completely um, different landscape.
2: How do you think William and Kate are going to move the monarchy forward? Obviously we're just at the start of a new reign so hopefully there's going to be
1: no changes for quite
2: some time. Do you think that the way they're working now is all with an eye to their future?
1: Actually, I think there will be changes in the monarchy. I and mean, as I said, I'm doing a new book that's called Our King, and and that's coming out before the coronation. But yeah, I do think Charles realised he has to make the changes ahead of William's reign. And I think things are going to be happening um, with the king over the next four or five years, um, which will shake it all up a bit, reduce it quite dramatically in terms of size and make it more cost-effective and efficient and look at a slightly different way from the, what was essentially an old Edwardian-style monarchy, which really didn't change. I will give the Queen credit for it changing. If you look at the size and the style of the staff, for example, um, that didn't change that much. So I think it's going to be focused mainly on the King and Camilla, the Queen Consort, and and the William and his family. But the King will, in consultation, do work to make prepare the way for a, modern, a properly modern monarchy... And I think that with William, I mean already he's working very hard for diversity in the in the royal family. I think he also reduced to work to drastically reduce staff numbers and cost of the monarchy because I think um, those two things are crucial if you're going to have sustain it. And also, I think that they've got to be prepared for a less world um, influenced monarchy. So that I'm sure in. By the time we reach William's reign, there's a fair chance there will be republics in Australia and New Zealand, maybe even Canada. And I think that the idea of a sort of um, the realms will be reduced by the time William reigns. So I think they're prepared, they've been prepared for that.
2: And, and we're, we're talking um, today as well about some of the uh, causes that William and Kate are really focused on. I mean, things like mental health, homelessness, addiction. Um, earthshot as well i mean obviously earthshot has huge precedents from uh the king himself having campaigned on this for for many many years but a lot of these topics they're taking on are not traditionally royal uh areas are they do you think that they are sort of trying to be more in tune with the with the general public with the wider world and sort of cut out some of that us and them sense uh that people have around the royal family
1: yeah, I mean, I think that the now the king is the king. He can do the he can't do the things that he wants to do in terms of climate change. So he's going to be more of a convening power. I think with William, what I quite like about William and Kate's attitude is they're going for very positive things. In terms of yes, their mental health thing was is positive, but they've moved forward a little bit with the earth Earthshot, trying to find solutions rather than warning about the, the impending doom i think that he's very positive in the way he goes about that the, the fact that he's creating and generating the solutions to in in small ways but he added together they become big, you know much um bigger uh, ways of doing things and and almost creating a community that working together will certainly help to give the, the planet more life i think that Kate. Hey, focus on early learning and young children is again in a very positive area. Whereas before, I think they were in a way for, you know, homelessness is going to be very important, of course, and it always remain that That was hugely important to Diana and mental health too. But I do think there are two main core issues of helping the lives of young people and sustaining a planet um, with solutions and finding solutions rather than simply making grandstandings speeches I think it's very important and he shows that he is someone that William in particular is someone that will interact with government well as will Kate to try to push them forward in the right direction rather than really being a way that say Charles was as Prince of Wales where he was very separate as Prince of Wales making speeches bravely and I think in a pioneering way but against you know conflicting with the architects conflicting with the Thatcher government in particular. And and I think that that was a different time. And they, they realised that working together uh, with all the powers that be is the best way forward.
2: I know William calls himself a stubborn optimist. I think that's a really good way of, of summing it up, isn't it? He's not prepared to sort of take over an answer on things. Um, but like you say, he's looking for solutions.
1: Yeah. And I think he's used his influence very well to raise the money using the people such as no, and no, David Attenborough, a big celebrities. Well, in many ways, this is a family tradition, isn't it? I mean, I remember it was your grandfather, wasn't it, who was a, one of the founding figures of the World Wildlife Fund. You had to know what you were doing if you sat in a committee with your grandfather. I don't mind telling you. <laughs> Perhaps you knew. Oh,
6: I knew, David. <laughs> I still know today. You have to know your detail. I think with the family, you get that generational hand on. And I think I've really picked up on the fact that my grandfather started you know, caring a long time ago about the natural world. My father's spoken a lot and cares a lot about the environment.
1: The drive of it comes from him. And I think he, from my research in, into the, the book I did about him, was very much that he was about um, solutions and that he wasn't prepared, as you say, to just rest on his laurels. I mean, he you know, he could sit around if he wanted to now. He'd be king maybe in 10, 15 years. He gets 26 odd million pounds a year from the duchy. He can watch his children grow up very happily and have an easy life. But he's not going to do that because that's not within his remit, the way he sees his role.
2: What kind of king and queen do you think they will make?
1: Again, it depends when when it happens. But I do think that they'll be give the impression of being there. At the moment, William is, what, 40? So if it's 10 years, he'll only be 50. I think he'll be somebody that they will still be relevant to the younger generation. And we'll always look to try to have that in mind. But again, I think that William in particular, and the focus will be on William when he is king, uh, will be to work in tandem with government and government resources to try to make the country stand out, to make it a better place uh, to live. And I think essentially that's what he is about, really. He's trying to make the lives of people that he works for and serves as, as a member of the royal family better and um, he'll continue to do that
5: Fab God this has been so insightful thank you so much for joining us today I know you don't feel well so I really really appreciate you finding the time Thanks thanks so
2: much Rob lovely to talk to you take care it's really interesting hearing from someone who's been on the Royal Beat for such a long time about how much things have already changed and how he sees them changing in future.
5: Yeah, I loved the fact that he, you know, one of the words he used to describe Kate was beautiful. Um, not just physically, but, you know, her, ins- her insides. I think he said, <laughs> no. I think she said yeah, she had a beautiful soul. I think it's safe to say that the monarchy is in safe hands with uh, William and Kate. I really enjoyed this chat. Me too. Our next guest is the
7: chief executive at The Passage, Mick Clark. For those who don't know, The Passage is a homelessness charity of which William has been a patron for, for many years.
6: As patron of The Passage, I've seen firsthand the vital work that they do to support people who are street homeless. The Passage's vision is of a society where street homelessness no longer exists and where everyone has a place to call home.
2: Mick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are in awe of all the work that you're doing uh, around homelessness at The Passage. Can you sum up for us what The Passage does?
3: So The Passage is all about preventing uh, and ending street homelessness. So we do that by having prevention services that stop people becoming street homeless in the first place. For those people that do end up on the streets, helping them off the streets as quickly as possible, and then continuing that support so hopefully no one ever has to go back to those
0: streets.
2: And obviously the passage has quite a long history uh, of connection with the royal family dating back to the late Diana Princess of Wales. Can you tell us a little bit about that connection?
3: So Prince William first came to the passage when he was around about 11, I think, uh, with his mum. And in, in his words, I think he was brought up very much around the focus of it's important that He is exposed to, as he said, life beyond palace walls. I
6: remember being taken by my mother to a homelessness shelter at a young age. Her explaining to me why the people I met there matter uh, and why no society can be healthy unless we take other people seriously.
3: So coming to The Passage, which I think was the first homelessness organisation he was brought to, was very much in fitting with that. And he visited a a few times with his mum. And then in 2016, The Passage did a a very large building refurbishment scheme. And when we finished that, we asked uh, Prince William if he would be the person to to launch it. And he very kindly did, came along, then came back for a few more visits. And then in 2019, we were delighted that he wanted to be our patron.
5: It's wonderful. Um, How is it working with Prince William?
3: It's great. Uh, I think he... I think he genuinely has a a real passion uh, and understanding about homelessness and clearly wants to do all that he can to help us and the other organizations he supports to work towards ending homelessness and street homelessness in particular. So he's a he's a wonderful advocate, um, but he's a is a great person as well. So it's a pleasure working with him. It's
7: obviously a charity that means an awful lot to him. Do you think that is because he um came to it at such a young age?
3: I think probably. I think when you're exposed to stuff at an early age, that's that's quite forming for you. And I think as I said earlier, it was very much focused on him that it was important to to focus on beyond palace walls. But I think also as he's as he's grown up and, and become uh, an adult, this clearly is something that he is very, very passionate about. And you can just see in terms of when someone is genuine and he's incredibly genuine and, as I say, incredibly passionate about wanting to try and make a tangible difference in terms of ending homelessness.
5: Talking about street homelessness, um, William, in back in 2009, decided to sleep rough.
6: For one night... I gave up the warmth and comfort of my bed and tried sleeping on the streets of London. Of course, this was just one night. I was cold but safe, and I knew I had a home waiting for me.
5: I know it was for another charity, but do you remember reading about that at the time? You've been involved, obviously, with this cause for many, many years. So what did it mean to you to see that?
3: Yeah, I do. And that was because Prince of Wales is also patron of of Centrepoint, a fantastic charity as well. And it was with Shay, who's the chief executive of Centrepoint. And it had a big impact on me because it's a bit like when sometimes people ask us, what does having a royal patron, someone like the Prince of Wales, do for the organisation? And one of the big things is that it, it raises the profile, but it also shows that this is an issue that really is important, that really matters. And so going back to when he slept out, that really achieved both huge profile raising of the issue, but also saying this is something that actually society really, really not just should be looking at how it can be solved, but genuinely want to. And we see that day in, day out in our work, there are so many good people who want to get involved, who want to help out, but sometimes don't know what to do. Uh, and so again raising that profile and showing that this is something that that needs to be focused on it it left a deep impression on me for sure
7: just touching on um how william has raised the profile over the years i mean what what do you think his involvement has done to your cause
3: so i think there's a few things really one as i say raising raising the awareness of it the prince of wales doing anything will attract be it media attention, or just general awareness and publicity. And that and that's great. Also, as I say, just actually demonstrating that the future heir to the throne, that for him, this is something that he's very passionate about and wants to make a tangible, and indeed has made a tangible commitment to. So for me, they're the two main things. But there's also, there's also the human element. Um, he will often do a lot of things that are not within the camera, so I remember during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a, a November, I think it was November 20, uh, lockdown for the whole month. And three times during that month, he came in and volunteered, uh, either preparing food, uh, some cases delivering food, chatting with our staff, with our residents, and essentially rolling his sleeves up and, and getting his hands dirty. But there wasn't a camera in sight. Um, so there's the human element around actually just meeting with someone who genuinely really cares about this issue and wants to make a difference. And as I said, uh, he's a genuinely good bloke.
5: You've mentioned the private visits, and our listeners always wonder, like, how are they behind the scenes? Would you say that he is the same, both in front and behind the camera?
3: Absolutely. I genuinely can. Uh, what's, what's that saying? Uh, what you see is what you get. Absolutely. <laughs> very straightforward, very passionate, um, great sense of humour. Um Yeah, just a good guy.
7: I always feel like he knows how to make people at ease, which must be difficult when, you know, when you're you're meeting the future king of England.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a really good good question. He is excellent at doing that, actually. Um, I think one of the things that he probably likes about going to the passage is he knows it's never stage managed, so whoever's in on that day uh, is who he's going to meet. And the great thing about people who are either living the trauma of homelessness or have been through the trauma of homelessness. They're very good at sussing out whether someone's genuine or not. Um, and, you know, woe betide you if, if, if you're not. And and I think that's one of the reasons why he's good at putting people at ease because I think people can see that this isn't a front. Uh, he genuinely cares about this. Um, but you are right. Um, there's a, Sometimes there will be some very nervous people. It tends not to be so much our clients. It'll so be... Perhaps maybe our staff or people like that that have been meeting with him. Um, and he's a master at just actually just putting people at ease. In fact, the recent visit that we had to launch our, two of our capital projects that we'd done, uh, one of the first things that one of the residents that he was meeting, he asked how they were. And, uh, and he, he said, oh, I'm a bit nervous, actually. And he said, oh, you don't need to be nervous. It's just me.
7: Aww.
3: And that's, yeah. <laughs> What you see is what you get and he's very good at putting people at ease.
7: Oh, so nice to hear.
2: So nice. I was going to say, I think there was a a lady called Sister Joan on uh, the prince's most recent visit. Um, She's obviously been involved for a very long time because she remembered uh, Princess Diana visiting. I believe the prince told her he was planning to bring uh, George and Charlotte and possibly Louis along in future. So it sounds like you're going to have a long stream of royal support (laughs) in future.
3: Well, who knows? I always think it's very important. I mean, that that's up to them, but I think it's also very important to to let them be what they are, which is children uh, and yeah, enjoy being true. children. And uh, they're always welcome, but um, that's for them, not us.
2: <laughs> Tell us, Mick, what can our listeners do to get involved and to help in the mission?
3: So in terms of volunteering, sometimes people often think that to be a philanthropist, you have to be very wealthy. You can be a philanthropist with your time. So, if somebody wants to get involved, wants to perhaps volunteer their time as little or as or as much as possible, there's loads of volunteering opportunities for us. Of course, it's uh, if we have to raise over four million pounds in voluntary income alone every year. So it's wow. great if people want to to support financially as well. And I think just actually having a greater awareness around homelessness that. We always say that in this country, no one's born on the streets. Circumstances put people on the streets. And mm-hmm. particularly with the cost of living crisis, there are increasingly more and more people who are finding themselves very much at risk of homelessness. So perhaps when you see someone either on the streets or, or affected by homelessness, j- just recognising that uh, it's circumstances that has put that person there, I've uh, yet to meet anyone that's chosen to, to live on the streets.
5: Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Thanks Mick. So much, it's Mick.
2: really, really interesting to, to hear a bit more about your work and, um, and what Prince William's doing to highlight it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Lovely.
3: You. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
5: That was such an interesting chat.
2: It's really interesting to see what's going on behind the scenes there.
5: And it's just incredible how much visibility the royals give to you know, charities like The Passage.
2: Yeah, I think the other thing that, um, leading on from what Mick said, is that it really helps to remove the stigma. Yeah, I think if you see the future king going and hanging out with homeless people, cooking with them, Sleeping chatting off. to them,
7: yeah, then it takes away a lot of the stigma yeah. around it. Yeah, I love hearing about him behind the scenes as well. Like in the uh, 2020 lockdown, when he went three times to help, just to help out with no cameras. It's just, I guess it really shows how much he genuinely... Cares about, yeah. I mean, his. can we say his people? Is it like one day his people? Yes. His yes. subjects? <laughs> his subject. It does feel a bit fairy tale, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it feels very
5: Arthurian. Uh, but I just want to say. It's true, it's true. A, it's a mark of a le- great leader, I think. After all these chats, I do think that we would be really good friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. He seems fun, like me. He has a great <laughs> sense of humour, like me. He puts people at ease, though. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Up next, we have CEO of Baby Basics, Kat Ross. For those who might not be familiar
7: with the charity, Baby Basics is this really amazing cause that provides families who are maybe struggling with all of the necessities they need for their newborns, from nappies to cots and so forth and it's a incredible charity that is clearly very close to kate's heart
5: welcome cat hi thanks for having me thanks for coming we're chatting all things the princess of wales today tell our listeners how your relationship with her came about
4: so our relationship started back in 2020 so um our west norfolk center which is based in dursingham um and the premises that they use for storage is based on the sandringham estate And so, um, unbeknownst to us, at some point, the church where our Baby Basics Centre runs from runs a playgroup that the Princess's children had attended. And so she'd heard about Baby Basics by things that they had been involved in at the church. So when the first lockdown happened, she approached our West Norfolk Centre and said, could I come and do a private visit, pack a basket and and meet some referrers? Which she did and thoroughly enjoyed, and from that really felt like she wanted to do more, and so got in touch with me at Baby Basics HQ and said, "We're really interested in setting up an initiative um, with baby banks. Uh, would you like to be involved?" And of course, we leapt at the chance.
5: It's incredible to think because the, the pandemic was absolutely awful, but you think back and you can actually remember some like nice memories, and this was like incredible for you, like to think that you know pandemic brought you together with Kate
4: yeah absolutely I mean when that email came in from Kensington Palace to my mailbox um I literally almost fell off my chair um it's not the kind of email that you expect I would, to get. I would fall off um, my
5: chair <laughs>
4: yeah. um but yeah it was it was just brilliant um and what she envisioned and brought to life through the supporting baby manx initiative has had real longevity with us at baby basics and um yeah, the relationship with the Royal Foundation Centre for Early Childhood has kind of grown since then as well. So yeah, it's just been brilliant.
7: Speaking about the longevity, um, have you noticed a major difference from pre her involvement to now?
4: Yeah, so pre her involvement, we had a couple of uh, corporate brands who would kind of donate to us kind of sporadically, but nothing really significant that, that had kind of been set up. And obviously, she brought in 19 British brands at that stage um, to donate to us and the two other baby banks that were part of the initiative. And yeah, we're really, really thankful that 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 sparked an ongoing relationship with those brands. Um, We still are majorly supported by Silver Cross and Mamas and Papas and Kit and Kin and My Little Coco and and a few others. Um, But since then, we've had other brands come on board. They've seen what the Princess, then Duchess, um, did with us and the benefits that those brands got from supporting a baby banking and, and giving back to their local communities. And so they've come on board as well. So we're now working with about 27 different corporates, um, which is just amazing. Wow. That's
5: incredible. Well done. We keep hearing how amazing, you know, the Prince and princess are behind the scenes. How are they really behind the scenes?
4: Really genuinely down to earth is my impression from the Princess. Genuinely interested in what we're doing Um, has a real passion from the early years which I think is coming out through the Shaping Us campaign that the foundation's recently launched with her and really genuinely interested in hearing the stories and building relationship with people and not scared to share her own experiences as a mother as well which is just fantastic. But yeah, genuinely, genuinely interested and really, really wants to find out how she can use her position of influence um, for the greater good.
7: I was going to say the fact that she's also a mother of three must resonate so much with people using your service. Like, Are there any stories that you can share that she's spoken to people about in the past?
4: I can't kind of share any particular stories, but there was a moment when she was meeting one of the families that we supported in Sheffield when she visited us in August 2020. And it's a family with triplets. Um, And I was kind of in the background of the room um, with these three gorgeous little babies running around, kind of listening into the conversation. And she was kind of expressing things like, I had one at a time. I can't imagine what it's like having three at once. Um, So really kind of just relating back to her own times as a mother um, and the experiences that she's had um, and I think people really do resonate with that. I know when she visited our Swansea centre um, with the prince back in November our baby basic centre leader's little girl was there and the interaction of the videos that we've seen of kind of her really engaging with that child um, are just beautiful and, and she her heart just really shines it in those videos.
5: This episode is titled The Future of the Monarchy. What kind of queen do you think she'll be? I think she'll
4: be a great queen. I think she's already a real asset to the royal family. I think, like I say, she's just so genuine and so passionate about what she does. And I think one of the things that has really recently struck me with the Shaping Us campaign, I was really honoured to be at the the pre-launch event for that at BAFTA. And one of the things she shared there was that this is a start of a long campaign for her. And she calls it her life's work. And I think she will take that campaign. She will take her work in the early years and her work with the Royal Foundation through to times when she is queen. Um and obviously her role will change and um she'll have different things that she can and can't do when she's in that position. But um, like I say, her heart is so genuine for making a difference to the early years and she's really passionate about creating a society where children are really valued. And we know that the first five years of life make such a difference to the next 50 in every child's life. Um, And so I think she'll carry that forward. And I think that can only be be an asset to the royal family and to our monarchy.
2: Kat, we were talking um, about the Shaping Us campaign. And I think what's really important to explain to listeners is that, yes, it is about Kate because she's a mother, but It's also really motivated by what she's seen through her previous work. So around addiction, homelessness, um, social, family breakdown, other issues like that. I think people assume that because I'm a parent, that's why I've taken an interest in the early years. I think this really is bigger than that. This isn't about just about happy, healthy children. This is about the society I hope we could and can become right from the early days meeting Lots of people who are suffering with, you know, addiction or poor mental health and hearing time and time again that their troubles now in adulthood stem right back from early childhood experience. You know, what should our listeners understand about why those first five years are so important to prevent those longer term issues?
4: So I think the, the major thing that people need to be aware is the Shapeners campaign is a public campaign. It's about saying the entirety of society, everybody in the public has a responsibility for raising the next generation. The age-old phrase is it kind of takes a village and and that's what she's really trying to empower in people. Those first five years of life um, have scientifically been proven to be so crucial. It's the time where a child's brain grows faster than at any other time in their life. And it's the time where they really develop their... Um, emotional, social, physical resilience and skills. And so, what she's aiming for, with a certainly with a kickoff with a video for the Shapeness campaign, is this is the ideal that we want to see for every family in our society. This is what we want to see for all of our children to have those experiences. Sadly, unfortunately, we live in a world where that's not the case in the UK right now. Um, but I know that this is just the start. Of what she's wanting to do in terms of bringing um, highlighting and advocacy to the importance of those first five years. And I think it's a really timely thing. It's happening amongst lots of other things in society, happening. Obviously, we're in a cost of living crisis. um, There's lots of discussions around the importance and Um, availability and affordableness of childcare to enable children to have those early years experiences in the nursery and to enable parents become more economically stable um, by being able to get back to work. So I think, yeah, it's about making people aware that we all have responsibility and there's lots of things that we can all do to improve the lives of very young children.
5: I have to say, her work is very inspiring. You know, it, it has inspired me. I think years ago when she launched, was it the five big questions? Mm. And since then, like the importance for me of being outdoors, being mm. out. The weekends, I jam pack them with fun things. Not necessarily, I mean, things that are free. Museums, parks, you could do anything, like painting, crafts. And she's kind of put that in... In my head, I'm always thinking that my kids need to have these experiences, not just being home, but just being outdoors, making friends, doing new things. And she also inspired us as well to launch the campaign that we did, the Christmas campaign supporting baby banks across the country. So, you know, what they're doing really works and i hope i'm not just the obviously i'm not the only one inspired i'm i'm sure they're inspiring you know millions
4: yeah definitely and i think it is it's about helping to highlight the fact that there are so many children who don't have those opportunities either because they don't have a garden they're in a high rise block of flats and um, their parents are trying to work and and make ends meet and they can't get the time with them that they would want to um one of our big campaigns at the moment at baby basics is about bed poverty And that there's so many children in our country who don't have a bed to sleep in. And the knock-on effects for that child, for the mental health and well-being of those parents um, is crucial. So it's about, yeah, just inspiring people to see what difference they can make and how they can get involved with organisations like us and baby banks across the UK. And other organisations that I know she's been really involved with this campaign. People like Home Start um, and Action for Children just to kind of see, well, what what could I offer to help um, and, and make a difference for, that, for our next generation?
7: It's incredible. Kat, it has been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you for having me. It's been great.
2: It was great to hear from Kat. I think it's amazing that these organisations are out there and able to help people.
5: It's so inspiring. And I've been inspired, like I said in our chat. So I'm a big supporter of everything that Kate is doing for early years.
2: And I think, you know, we'd all like to see some children out there wearing George and Charlotte's hand-me-downs. Oh, yes, please. Other than Prince
7: Louis. (laughs) That's everything from us today. Thank you so much to all of our guests and to you two for joining us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk
5: all things The Coronation, so don't forget to subscribe now. In the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.